Welcome to Bible study. This is Nikolita, your host. Very happy to be with you today again, and thank you for tuning in with us. I would like to introduce the panel for today, and I've got uh, Lija here. Thank you for coming, Lija. Thank you for being here. And Helen, thank you again for having you with us. It's great to be here. Thank you. Brenton. It's a privilege to be back again and be part of the study group. And Ken. It's always a pleasure to be here. Len is the last one to introduce because he's also the facilitator for today. And Len, I would like to just uh, hand it right uh, to you. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the program today. We are doing a study, number nine in the series, about oneness in Christ. Another word for that, of course, is unity. Today's study is entitled, The Most Convincing Proof. Now, last week, the Bible study was on the subject of unity in faith, which was about biblical doctrines. We acknowledge that Christians of different faiths have different beliefs simply because some groups misinterpret or misapply scripture to suit themselves, and others avoid certain clear statements in the Bible. One thing, however, is the central pillar of Protestantism, and that is that salvation is through Jesus alone and through what he did for us. Unity is achieved through a common message. This week, we'll look at the proof of unity, which is found in how believers act in their daily lives and how they demonstrate the beliefs that they hold. So, before starting, let us pray together. Brenton, would you like to pray, please? Certainly. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. We thank you that unity comes about by knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Jesus himself said that if we know those two things, we have eternal life if we know God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Lord, may the unity recorded in scripture flow out today as we discuss this topic together. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, thank you, Brenton. Now, Lydia, I have a, a $64,000 question to start with today. Do you think that unity is only a natural outcome of being a Christian? I have here a few thoughts about it, and I'm going to expose to you. Like many other spiritual blessings God gives his people, church unity also is a gift of God. Unity is not a human creation through our efforts, good works, and intentions. Fundamentally, Jesus Christ creates that unity through his death and resurrection. So it means unity is a gift from God. Okay. Now this is rather interesting. Yes. We sometimes think unity is something that we work toward, but unity is also a gift. Now, Helen, in what way is unity a gift of God? Well, I believe that as we allow God to work within us by trusting and obeying, he imparts gifts, including a desire to work together, which then therefore creates unity. I don't believe that we can have unity without God in our life, true unity, and the Holy Spirit working in our life as well. But it is, is a gift, a wonderful gift. Yeah. A wonderful gift. Yeah. yeah, thank you for that. 
now going to look at a section of this study called Under the Cross of Jesus. Ken, would you read John chapter 11, verses 51 and 52, please? Okay, I'm uh, reading from the King James Version. 51. And this speak he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. All right. Now, Caiaphas was a high priest, but he made a prophecy. Could you tell me what the prophecy was? He said something about Christ. What did Christ have to do? Anybody? He said uh, to the uh, Sanhedrin, who were the ones that he was addressing, you know nothing at all. He said, don't you realize that it is better for one person to die that the whole nation perish. Now, today we use the term sacrificial lamb. So-and-so has been offered as a sacrificial lamb. It's rather interesting that Caiaphas was actually prophesying, as you said, Len and Ken, that what would happen is that in doing so, Christ would die for the sins of the whole world, but he didn't realise this. He was merely looking at it from a political perspective and saying to uh, the Sanhedrin, we need to get rid of this guy. Yeah. We need to remove him and his influence. Yeah. It's better that that happened than the whole nation perish. Paradoxically, what actually did happen is later on the whole nation did perish. Yes. So what, Brenton, then, did the Apostle Paul have to say about the foundation for Christian unity? That's mm. in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Let me read it. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Paul is addressing the Ephesian church and uh, the surrounding churches in this text. But what he's actually saying, the riches of his grace to me, Len, means that we are totally unable to do anything about our salvation. It's the lavish riches of grace that God has poured out. And Paul is pointing out to these people, whether they're Jew or Greek, male or female, as he addresses in the book of Galatians. He simply says it doesn't matter what your social status, your gender, or anything else that matters. He said God's riches, his grace that's been poured out upon you, is sufficient for everybody to be So saved. when Christians say, well, how did I become a Christian? If it was another way, some might say, well, I paid a lot of money to become a Christian, to become saved. Somebody else might say... I did a lot of good works to do it. Somebody else might say something else. But we can't do that because the only way we are saved is through the sacrifice of Jesus. So in that itself, there is a unity. And just because somebody is richer than another, they can't buy their way. All have to come to the Lord through the and same become way. Christians the same way. So there's a certain amount of unity there. Helen, would you please read Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27? And I'll ask you a question about that afterwards. Okay, I'm reading from the New King James Version in Galatians. And you said, uh, chapter 3, 26 and 27, says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
Well, that's a rather interesting expression, to put on Christ. What do you think put on Christ means? Well, I think it's an interesting, yeah, it is an interesting phrase, put on Christ. In fact, we're going to talk later about Ephesians 4 as well, and it talks about putting on and putting off. So when I look at this, to me, it means that we take Christ, his complete character, um, into our life. And it's shown, it, we take him inwardly and it's shown outwardly. So it's, it's not a, um, that we're, we're taking a different covering or anything. We become a new person in Christ. We are completely uh, given to him, surrendered to him, submitted to him. And then he gives, makes us a new creation. Mm-hmm. And the putting off that we'll talk about later is that we're going to put off the old, old habits we've had and what, whatever. Yes, I suppose you could say a similar expression would be to take in Christ. Mm-hmm. But it means basically the same thing. Len, two, two quick things on that. Number one, uh, the putting on and the putting off has the connotation of clothes of putting off an old garment and putting on your new garment. Mm. And, of course, the new garment is Christ's robe of righteousness. However, the putting on and the putting off also has reference to baptism because when you were baptised, that's what happens. You put the old garment off and you put the new garment, Christ and his character, on. Uh, I'd just add to that, Brenton, if I may, that, yes, it, it is like a garment excepting that we are getting the old garment off. Mm-hmm. So it is a completely new garment, yes, yes, and we're not just one. covering up yeah, uh, yeah. here, so to speak. And notice also that if Christians put on Christ, we will all carry that same brand, the characteristics and the name. Yeah. You know, like And be wearing stamp. the same garment. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's good. Ken, we're now looking at a, a different section of this study called the Ministry of Reconciliation. Ken, would you read Second Corinthians 5, and quite a few verses here, verses 17 through to 21. Again, I'm reading from the uh, King James Version, starting at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. To say that God was in Christ, reconciliating the word unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, then we as we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. All right. Now, what does this word reconciliation mean, Ken? Well, in very, very simple terms, it means bringing back together. In this case, Christ and us, unbelievers to reconcile lost humanity to God the Father. So here the Apostle Paul is saying that Christ part of his work was to reconcile mankind to God the Father but it also mentions that we are involved in the work of reconciliation how does that bring about unity within say the Christian church? 
Well, there's a number of, of ways that this works. Firstly, as believers in Jesus Christ, as we've just read recently, we put on the uh, the garments of Christ, the way of Christ. So internally, we are to uh, proceed as Christ did, having uh, empathy and unity with other people, having love for other people, especially the brethren, and all working in the same direction to build up the unity of Christ and the Church of Christ. Right. Uh, we are involved in the same business that J- Jesus was involved in, to Absolutely. bring lost humanity back to God. I mean, if I could say just something there, uh, Len, uh, unity, it's a thing, you know, that uh, lots of people are talking about uh, in all aspects of life, you know, politics, social, religious, and so on. And unfortunately, too often, people are coming with uh, their own uh, ideas and understanding how unity should be accomplished. And that's why we don't have that unity which we are talking about today, because the unity in Christ is if we allowed Christ to work in us, then will be changed. And as was mentioned uh, so far, uh, because we're taking the garments of Jesus on us. And we are not united or changed because of our own abilities, but we are changed because of Christ in us. And the unity then takes place, even if you like, um, kind of it's a result of uh, walking with Jesus. So, Lucio, I know you want to say something here, but if we just backtrack a little bit. Before, we read a verse that talks about that unity is a gift, and this is something that we can have in Christ and also as we work with or if you like for Christ. Lydia, yes, what did you want to say here? In this ministry of reconciliation we can unfold three ways as believers. First of all, our church is composed of believers who were once alienated from God but through the saving grace of Christ's sacrifice have now been united to God by the Holy Spirit. So we are the remnant called to proclaim an end-time message to the world. Our ministry is to invite those who are still alienated from God to be reconciled to God and join us in our mission. Number two, the church also is God's people reconciled to one another. And to be united to Christ means that we are united to one another first. This is not just a lofty idea. It must be a visible reality between us. Reconciliation to one another, peace and harmony among brothers and sisters, is an unmistakable witness to the world that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Redeemer. By this we'll all know that you are my disciples if you have love one another. It says in John chapter 13 verse 35. And the number three is that through this ministry of reconciliation the church tells the entire universe that God's plan of redemption is true and powerful. Yeah. The great controversy is about God and his character. Inasmuch as the church cultivates unity and reconciliation, the universe sees 
the working out of God's eternal wisdom. So God is on a mission to bring about cosmic unity. Okay, thank you very much for that. I really like to read the, the uh, letters written by the Apostle Paul, the letters of Ephesians and Colossians. Because Paul is not just a theoretical man. He talks about practical things. And in certain places here, and we'll look at these verses in a moment, he talks about practical unity, what things can be done to bring about and maintain unity. Brenton, would you read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, right through to chapter 5, verse 2? I think it's about five or six verses. Therefore, putting away lying... Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labour working with his hands, which is good that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Okay. Now, that's quite a bit to take in. But, you know, if we are careful and we read those verses through carefully, we'll come up with a list and... Could you just share some of those practical things that the Apostle Paul has written that we should be as Christians? Certainly. Uh, the first one is truthfulness. Obviously, if you're going to have Christian unity, uh, Len, you can't have unity without truthfulness. Yes. Um, the lack of truthfulness, falsehood, immediately introduces division. The second one is honesty, and of course that goes along with truthfulness. I find the third one, usefulness, be particularly interesting. Not only useful in the sense of looking after yourself, but more importantly, uh, Paul is urging the Ephesians here to work with their own hands, to be useful, but useful so that you can um, help others who are in need. Wholesome talk, I think that probably speaks for itself. Positive, so no dirty jokes? No dirty jokes. <laughs> Um, positiveness. Now, positiveness is something that is lacking in our society. I've often wondered, Len, if we had a uh, television station that was called the Good News Television Station, when all it had on it was good news, how many people would actually watch it? Yeah. Uh, stability in emotions, that's something that certainly our society in 2018 would benefit from. Stability in emotions, kindness. Now, kindness is, is not natural. Kindness comes from having the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And compassion, I think uh, the Greek word for it, means that it, it hurts you 
in your stomach. It's uh, it's far more than just empathy or anything like that. It's it means that you really place yourself uh, where the other person actually is. Loving sexual purity, I think we need not speak on those. They're self-evident and unselfishness. We live in a selfish society. What society is looking for, I believe, is an evidence that these attributes that we have just read in Ephesians 4.25 through to 5.2, they are being demonstrated practically in a person's life. Mm. They're not just uh, rhetoric, they're actually demonstrated in action. Yeah, I believe it's a change of lordship, if you like, in our life, which then gives us a change of lifestyle. Mm. True, true. Because we can't control <coughs> ourselves um, when we're under the wrong master. Mm. It's only mm. as we give our life over to Christ that he allows us to have that self-control on these areas. Yes, Nick. As uh, Brenton just mentioned, quite a few uh, characteristics uh, in that letter. I noticed that it's very much compound of the law of God because God gave us laws and commandments to follow to be able then to stay united in him mm. how yes. can we experience unity in this world when we throw away the law of God True. saying that we don't need to because God died for us and the law is done away with now that's the concept of the majority unfortunately the majority of Christians thinking that the law is not valid actually the law it's the reflection of God's character and then if we consider the law to keep it and to follow, then we will not steal, we will not uh, lie, we will not uh, commit uh, sexual immorality, and so on and so on. You see, this is very interesting because, Len, earlier you said, what's our part in working together for the unity of body of Christ? Our part is that, mm. to keep what God asks us to do. And to follow him, not just to do our own things and thinking that we are smart enough to work towards the unity. As Christianity, unfortunately, missing out the point, they're working towards ecumenism, but that's not about uplifting the law of God. Mm. Now, in actual fact, if you read the Ten Commandments and you read this list that Brenton has just read, you can see so many similarities. It's basically just expounding on the Ten Commandments. Just think of it for a moment, panel. If you live in a society where the opposite occurs, instead of truthfulness, you've got False. lying. Instead of honesty, you've got dishonesty. Instead of usefulness, you've got uselessness, dirty talk, negativity, emotions raging from anger to whatever else unkindness is another opposite to kindness compassion is opposite to that would be selfishness to be loving well anything but loving sexual not purity but impurity and selfishness what sort of society do you live in the one we're living in today <laughs> <laughs> and so if this society existed amongst Christians what sort of witness is that to bring people to God? As Christians, this should be a natural thing seen in each of us. And not to be negative now with all these things said, what's mm. the solution? 
And the only solution is to come to Jesus, to allow Jesus to work in us the change which is needed. Yeah. Now, we may think today that because we are Christians and we call ourselves followers of Christ, that what Christian means, we are just by name. And in the Bible it says how well many times you just praise me with your lips, but your heart is far away from me. Yeah. And probably that's the condition of the society. But the good news is that Jesus is inviting us right now as we talk to give our hearts to him and to allow him to make the change in our hearts that unity may be experienced among us. These qualities that are listed in Ephesians 4 and 5, do you think they contribute to the unity in, in Christians, in a church? I think they have a twofold effect. Uh, I would say definitely they do. Firstly, they contribute to unity in the church, but it also is a demonstration to society as a whole that here is a group of people who are unified in thought and action and that that is also something that they too can have if they accept Jesus Christ. Yeah. Now, Ken, when we go to the book of Colossians, especially chapter 3, there's a great big long list. But in verse 2 of Colossians chapter 3, there's something special. You know, this whole section is entitled Rules for Holy Living. So what does verse 2 say there, Ken? Okay, in verse 2 it says, Set your affection on things above, not things on the earth. So what does that mean? Well, basically what it's saying is that the, ho the holiness of the Lord is above us and the evilness of the world is below us. And obviously if we're looking at things in the world, we're going to take our eyes off God, who is in the heavens, and uh, we'll be perhaps get caught up in worldly things which don't last forever, whereas um, the righteousness of God does last forever. Right, yes, Helen. We're told to seek first the kingdom of God. Yes. Not seek the material things of this earth, but seek first the kingdom. So what does that mean, then, if we do seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... It means that we live on a different level, yes. a different plane, and yes. I would like yes. to say a higher plane. Brenton, uh, from Colossians 3, would you read verse 11, please? Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So... What does this say about the attitude that Christians should have to each other? The text actually is almost a mirror of Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, where yeah. we're told that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. What it tells us is that um, Christ's death on the cross and the shedding of his blood abolished all divisions, man-made divisions, that sin had introduced. There was no longer a division that Christ's death didn't cover. So a full acceptance of Christ's death on Calvary for your sins individually will, I believe, have taken to its ultimate extension. It will abolish all divisions in society. And the purpose of Christ's death on the cross 
as Ken said earlier on, was to reconcile the world to God. Now, the reconciliation came about through Jesus. He acted as both the sacrifice and also the mediator. And he has brought us back to him again. He has introduced that unity. And that unity is achievable, but only in Christ. Yes. Now, just because you might be better educated than me or vice versa, does that make you or me better than the other one? No, it doesn't. Um, If I was to use the analogy of the worldly way of thinking, um, the worldly way of thinking is that we are all equal. There's a fatal flaw in the current, um, shall we say, philosophy of the world, humanism. Humanism tries to portray that we are, in fact, all equal. However, we are only equal in the sense that um, when someone's ambitions coincide with someone else's ambitions, then you've got problems. And a few years ago, a number of years ago, our society was much more cohesive. We thought more about others and their uh, way of... um, and what we could do to help them. Unfortunately, the society we live in today, we champion the rights of the individual. Mm. Now, whilst that in itself is not wrong, in a sense it is because it introduces into it because when my interests compete with your interests, Len, whose interests are subservient to the other. Whereas the unity in Christ Mm. is to show that at the foot of the cross, every single one of us are sinners. We desperately need that grace Mm. that God has given. And the world will not provide that. I want to point out something uh, about, because we mentioned about Jesus Christ. When he said those famous words, I came to this world not to be served, but to serve. Now we, if we want to be united in Christ, then we should not follow our own desires and our own ambitions, as you pointed out. Uh, Unfortunately, sometimes, even Christians, they consider themselves, at least from a spiritual point of view, a superior class. True. And we should not think of that. Apostle Paul actually is mentioning that for us, preaching the cross, for the world, it's it's a foolishness. And many people can think in that way what we need to do as Christians to show to the whole world to everyone around us from the neighbor to the end of the world that we are changed because of the touch of Jesus Christ yes. because of the touch of God mm-hmm. not because we have any merits not because we as Len you asked a bit earlier because we are we have different education or we have different culture backgrounds and we have different ethnicity and so on. Doesn't count anything like that. What counts is if we know yes. the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Ken? I'd just like to add to that that uh, and I hear this comment quite a lot in the community and I think it's a very fair comment that often people will say that uh, they they often hear Christians preaching but uh, I think what's more important is they actually watch what they do Mm. and we can all come out and say whatever but it's what we actually, how we actually relate to others that's the most important thing. Yes, just going back to what Brent's saying there is a common idea in worldly circles that all men are equal My brother used to say, yes, all men are equal, 
but some are more equal, equal than, than others. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Um, Colossians chapter three, verses uh, chapter three, verses fifteen and sixteen. Ledger, would you mind reading that? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Peace of God, if we leave the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, this is a heavenly, divine, it's a different peace in, in your hearts that doesn't make you afraid doesn't make you concerned about the future or about the problems or about anything else. And we obtain this peace of Christ in our hearts by keeping related with the Word of God. So the Word of God, we keep a relationship with the Lord through His Word of God, through the Bible every day. And the Holy Spirit places His divine peace in our hearts mm. that is nothing else like a divine peace it's sometimes called the peace that passes all understanding yes in other words it's a kind of a mysterious peace that many people don't experience because they don't have christ True. in them well let's move on helen from colossians chapter 3 again verse 17 would you read that please I'd be happy to do so. Again from the New King James Version, uh, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, I, I believe that Paul sums up how Christians should live in this particular verse. You know, we should commit everything that we do or say to the Lord Jesus. So... When it says that we should do everything in the name of the Lord, what connotations does that have? Well, I believe if we're not, then if we can't do something and it can't be approved of Christ, then it is obviously not the right thing to do, is it? Mm. I think the young people used to have a, um, a bracelet that had WWJD on it. What would Jesus do? Um, I, I just find this extremely interesting that people are actually watching Christians. Yeah. They're watching all the time. We may not even be aware of it. I just remember an incident when we were in Papua New Guinea and um, my husband had said that he would not work through the Sabbath hours from sunset to sunset. And when he went to work one day, one of the, the guys said to him, you're early, sun hasn't gone down yet. And um, my husband said, what do you mean? He said, well, I looked up the paper and, he said, and my husband said, look at the sun, where is it? He was being observed all the time. Mm. Mm. You know, it didn't matter what he did and, and or what he said. But I believe that true Christian behavior means that we look at life from God's perspective and seek what he actually desires. It's what he desires in our life. You know, service and, and conduct do not earn salvation, but they are the results of our salvation. Yes. And so if we truly honestly believe that Christ died on the cross for us and we've accepted that and taken him into our life, then the, the normal outcome should be that we want to do all and say all to honour and glorify him. I like very much what you've said. Yeah. So in everything that we do, 
if we could say, yes, God would approve of this, mm. it's, it's like saying doing something in the name of the Lord. God would approve of this, then it's okay. If God wouldn't approve of it, then we should stay away from it. Let me say, Len, that I don't think it's just a case of thinking that way. I think we need to pray about it and take that to the Lord because sometimes in our own desires we tend to have an opinion, oh, God would approve of this, but in actual essence he may not. We need to look at it from his perspective. Yes. Well, there is a challenge here, listeners. It's a personal challenge for you. If you're a Christian or not, the question is, what kind of witness do you, and as far as us here as the panel are concerned, we present to others? Do others find us something that attracts them and think, well, I would like to be like that person because that person is a follower of Jesus? I'm reminded of Gandhi. Did he not say something to the effect, I may not get the exact quote so you can correct me on this uh, panel, but did he not say something to the effect, your Christ I love, but your Christians I don't. He did say. Yes, Mm. because he could not see them emulating Christ and and that's that is sad. Yes. It is so sad because we're talking eternal life here and we could well be the stumbling block mm. for somebody's eternal life if we do not take Christ completely into our life and give all to him and do all to his honour and glory. Yes. Well, the next section of what we're talking about is unity amid diversity. Um, Another thought was coming in there at at the same token. I remember reading somewhere where it said, if you were accused of being a Christian, would you be found guilty? Would there be enough evidence (laughs) to convict you? Yeah, evidence to convict you. Well, the answer has to be (laughs) yes. (laughs) All right, Ledger, would you like to read Romans chapter 14 and verse 1? We've had this before in our Bible studies, but it's good to revisit it. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. So it means that we have to accept others around us and show tolerance and patience if they don't agree with us or if they don't have enough light in regard with some things because God brings light in people's hearts, not all at once, but in stages as people are able to take in. Yes, I like what you said. It makes me think we're all on a journey. We're all at different stages. So just because somebody is on what we consider a a more mature stage in their Christianity, that's no reason to um, condemn or judge somebody who's just learning. Now, in these verses, Brenton, from Romans 14, Ledger read verse 1, But from verse 2 and verse 5, there are two examples given by the Apostle Paul. What are they and what's it all about? Verse 2 has a relationship to food. It says, For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Verse 5 states, One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. They're the two issues. Um, the issue of food, I think it's fair to say for our listeners that we are not dealing with the issue of clean and unclean food. We would, we, uh, why would God give the children of Israel in Leviticus 11 very clear instructions as to what they could eat and not eat and 1900 years later or whatever, 
say that those have all been abolished now and we're moving uh, to a different uh, paradigm. Really, what it's saying, I think what you said earlier on, Len, is fairly important. A new believer who is weak in the faith or who is young in the faith, those of us who are more mature spiritually should not lead that person into disputing over issues that are inconsequential. Right. Okay. The, the way the Apostle Paul has put it in the um, New International Version, he talks about disputable matters. Mm. So what are disputable matters? Well, certainly two that come to mind are cultural variations, also negotiable issues. If I could explain uh, perhaps a little more on that. When we deal with cultural differences, we live in a very um, culturally diverse society in Australia. The more we understand those around us who come from other countries and have made their home here in Australia, the more, as Christians, I believe we should be accepting of them and of the fact that they see things differently from the way we do. However, the, the bottom line in regard to negotiable issues or disputations is is the issue that you are discussing or disputing, is it essential for your salvation mm. or not? Good. What is essential for our salvation? To summarise it very quickly an acceptance of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice for us and we are saved solely by what he has done on the cross for us our works that we do demonstrate that we are in a safe relationship with him. Are these other issues, these peripheral issues, are they going to add to your growth in the Lord or are they issues that, as it says, are inconsequential? Right, good. <coughs> Helen, can you give me some um, modern-day disputable matters? Well, one oh, a couple come to mind, actually. Some people believe you should have grace before meal. Other people believe you should have it after meal. Some people believe you should have it before and after. Um, you could dispute that one. Wearing black at funerals um, is certainly a disputable one these days. You know, the the olden days it was always black, black and more black. Um, but nowadays there are many people that, that um, wear all sorts of colours mm. and it can be disputable. These are just a few. It's just interesting because I was thinking a bit earlier about how Jesus approached in his time all the differences and to be able to still keep unity in diversity. Now, he came across Jewish people, Samaritans, some others like, uh, you know, uh, Romans and so on. He treated them all the same from a salvation point of view. Now, the things which we raised up about, uh, uh, and there are, in, uh, um, interesting enough that there are in the Bible some uh, good, solid information about even how to dress, how to, uh, what to wear, and things like that. If we are willing to see what God wants us, but if we want to, to apply that, those teachings in the Bible from a cultural point of view, then we may come across all those differences. But if we cut down cultural views and follow the Bible, which is one and the same for everyone, then a lot of things will be the same. That's why Jesus treated the same everyone from all cultural backgrounds, because he was trying to teach them 
what's the reality of his word and the calling. I think here can be very sensitive to say that we can do things in our culture different than other people. The only difference is that they may not understand that culture and there will be the clash. But if we, and I, I noticed that thing, uh, you just raised up uh, uh, Helen, coming myself from a different culture, when some people um, had to adapt to the culture a little bit and probably for them was a lesson to learn and and maybe even change themselves if that was needed in in the light of the Bible. Because how can we say now to Christians to follow a particular way, which is the Lord's direction, when they say, but I have my own way and understanding. You see what I mean? I mean that we need to have a guidance not from our own understanding and cultural understanding, yeah. but from the Bible. And if we we'll have it from the Bible, we can all unite from all different backgrounds in one direction. Now, just currently, we have a visitor staying with us who comes from Holland. And she was telling us the other day that her niece was married to somebody in the uh, county, I suppose you'd call the county of Urk in Holland. The people living there are very strict Dutch reform. And our friend was amazed at the sermon that the, the, the minister in the Reformed Church preached. And he said it was a sin for this newly married couple to go on a honeymoon. It's a sin to go overseas. It's a sin to have your hair cut. So um, our friend's niece has got hair right down to her waist. Is it a sin? Of course not. It's not a sin. It's just one of those negotiable things that Paul was talking about. All right, well, time is sneaking along as usual. And we have another section I would like us to look at. And it's called Unity in Mission. Brenton, several times, Jesus' disciples disputed a certain issue. Would you like to read about it in Luke 22, verse 24? Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. So what was the issue? The issue was who was the greatest. Now, we, we need a little bit of background, and I'll summarise it as quickly as I can. This statement was made as Christ was or had washed his disciples' feet. It's what we know as the Last Supper. And here is the Lord about to offer his life for the sins of the world, including those of the disciples, and they're still arguing over who is going to be the greatest in a mythical kingdom that the Bible did not in fact teach. It was a misunderstanding on behalf of the Jewish nation as to what the Messiah's role was when he came. And Jesus actually summarises it pretty well in the next couple of verses where he simply says, if you want to be the greatest, you must put yourself in the position of a servant. Mm. You must serve others rather than be waited upon. And then he uses himself as an example by saying, I didn't come down from heaven to be served. I came down from heaven to serve. If you want to be my disciples, if you want to follow me, you need to follow my example. And how is that unity in mission 
uh, express. I just want to point out uh, what Jesus did. He showed that to be able to go together, you need to understand each other and serve each other. Mm-hmm. I was serving in the army, and when we were given a mission, we cannot say, okay, you going that way, I'll go that way, I'll do this, you can do that, and we'll get there somewhere and to uh, fulfill that mission. When we have um, an assessment for a mission, we need to understand everyone, everything what was on the same line and the same direction. And that's what I was trying to say when we raise up those things, differences culturally and so on. There are nothing related to the Bible. As you learn, you, you point out about uh, going to the honeymoon or not going to the honeymoon. That's not in the Bible. Uh, but if it will be something in the Bible which you love to, because from, the, from a culture you come from, you think that's not a sin, but the Bible points out that is some problem with that, would you change that if you understand it or not? Uh-huh. Would, you leave, would you leave aside cultural understanding and go along with God's requirements? Or you just say, but in our culture we used to do this. And Jesus said, how well did you change the law of God in the favor of your own mm. tradition, which is culture? Mm. You see, that's what I'm trying to say. Culture n- needs to be left aside when principles of God come in place to follow and to understand. Yes, we'll see. Well, this was before the crucifixion. That's right. Now, what happened after the crucifixion? Helen, would you read Acts chapter 1, verse 14? Absolutely. It's a very short verse, but it's a very important one because it does show a difference in attitude. And let me share it with you, verse 14. It says, These all continued with one accord in prayer is that what yours says in one accord in prayer and supplication the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers but the one accord is the one that got me and when I looked into this I found out that in Acts alone this phrase is used 11 times being in one accord and and to me I thought okay what does that actually mean means being the same or like-minded. It doesn't refer to people that, that we all think and, and feel the same way about everything, but it's people who set aside, as um, Nick was saying, set aside your culture or your personal feelings and commit to the task of witnessing to others about the love of Christ. Just the other day I was doing some research about what happened to the disciples after this time all except one, met a violent death. And that one was the Apostle John, who died a natural death. To go through with that, to go through with presenting Jesus to the world, they did it at the risk of their own (coughs) lives. In fact, all of them, except one, lost their lives. So this is part of the one accord. It's not just this warm, fuzzy feeling of being together, but they went out. They did the bidding of Christ. It was a mission, and they were one in accord there. Well, what made the difference, Ken, from before to afterwards? Well, there's a number of things, Len, but they accepted each of them had a mission to fulfill. And I use the analogy of... uh, tradespeople building a house, shall we say, you have all these 
different men, usually sometimes women, but say generally men, they all come together, they're all different ages, different backgrounds, they have different trades, but they all come and work as one to get that house finished uh, so that the owner can move into it, and it's a bit like Christians. We should also come together and work together to fulfil the mission that Christ has given us. Of course, criticism. Criticism hurts. In fact, we learn more from our critics than we do from those who praise us. The question is, why should anyone criticise, and I'm thinking in Christian circles now, why should anyone criticise another? Well, I think, Len, there could be, again, a number of reasons for that, but one could be, firstly, even as Christians, we're still human beings, and sometimes, or as human beings, the... Uh, rebellious side inside of us still springs up occasionally mm. and Brenton where someone does do something different and maybe even something wrong how should we deal with that firstly criticism amongst believers is often based on be perceived behaviour or behaviour that perhaps we disapprove of and I think we have an answer in Galatians 6 verse 1 Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness considering yourself lest you also be tempted Often as Christians we, we do see things perhaps in others that we disapprove of or we see things that others are doing that perhaps are not in harmony with the word of God but we always need to remember that in dealing with that particular person, do we deal with them in a spirit of gentleness? Mm. Do we deal with them in the spirit of, if I was in your shoes and in your situation, maybe I would have done the same thing. Yeah. You are far more likely to restore a person that way than simply blast them for what they're doing wrong. Uh, they probably know more times than not that they are doing the wrong thing but they're probably also watching to see how you approach the issue, how do you deal with it. If you approach them over the issue, what you've observed, how are you approaching them? Are you approaching them in the spirit of Christ? Just before you speak, Nick, I think here is a good piece of advice. Where people do things that we don't approve of, and especially if they're doing something that is morally wrong, we should counsel rather than rather than criticize now sure. Nick, you've been bursting to say something i'm just uh, time it's uh, going out very uh, quickly and uh, we probably need to wrap it up very quickly now but i want to say one thing and this will be also the, a taken point for me from uh, this uh, study i mean talking about the most convincing proof for unity and if we understand this i believe we can make a difference is about sacrifice Jesus sacrificed for us, for each one of us and if we need to achieve unity we need to sacrifice yes. we cannot just point out the uh, defects or the wrongdoings or uh, other people, that's why we are not united because of this and that we need to learn to sacrifice and I believe that will glue together the children of God. The sacrifice, though, helps to restore the person who has fallen. 
And this is what I believe Paul was talking about in Galatians. The Christian author Ellen White wrote about the witness and effectiveness of a loving and lovable Christian. And I hope that all of us want to be loving and lovable Christians. You know, as we commit our lives to the Lord, and as we allow ourselves to be guided by the Holy Spirit, we will be doing God's will and will be involved in the work of reconciliation, bringing others to know the Lord. That in itself is to be our mission. And in doing so, we will experience a oneness, a unity that will happen. And that is the kind of unity that has purpose and is lasting. And I want to thank you for joining us today. And before we close this program, Lydia, would you like to pray? Holy Father in heaven, thank you so much for reminding us of your desire to reconcile us with you again. Please, Father, bless us with your Holy Spirit to abide in you and you in us and be sanctified in our hearts to be unreserved yours and be reconciled with you. Father, please empower us to show unity in a practical way with all those around us. Help us, Father, to make every effort to keep unity of the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace. Help us, Father, to be imitators of God and live a life full of love and to be your ambassadors uh, on this earth and in everything to bring only to you honor and glory and praise because you are the only one true God. In Jesus' precious name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. Amen.